Well, good morning. Uh, I know I've already been introduced, but I'll introduce myself again. My name is Will Turner, um, and it is a privilege for me to be here this morning to share God's Word with you. So thank you for having me. Thank you, Pastor Nathan, um, for asking me. This has been something that I've been looking forward to, especially knowing that um, I get to continue to be part of what y'all have been doing in walking through um, John's Gospel. Before we jump into that, just to kind of help you know who is standing up here in front of you, uh, a little more background. There's a picture um, that's going to be shown on the screen, a different picture of my family. So one thing about us, you already know we have five kids. Um, Jeannie and I have been married for over 12 years. Um, this is us at Tim's Ford uh, State Park. And one thing that we like to do as a family, we like to do family adventures. And so what that means is that we have a goal that we're going to visit every state park in Tennessee before our oldest, Carrick, who is 11 and about to start middle school, graduates from high school. And so we've got 18 of the 50-some-odd state parks down. And so this is, we have been hiking most of the day, and we are looking off over the lake like explorers, thinking about new lands to journey and find. So a little bit about us. We love to hike. We love being outside. We love to learn new things. We love to go to new places. And we do have five kids. A lot of people ask us, hey, you know, are you guys done? We maxed out our minivan. Like it only seats seven. There's seven of us. So I guess we're full. Um, you know, that's our answer to that. Um, but again, it's a blessing to be here with you this morning. Just to recap where we've come from last Sunday um, and where we're going today is last Sunday, Pastor Nathan uh, began uh, the end of chapter 11 and the beginning of chapter 12, which is really wrapping up Jesus's public ministry. Um, today, we're going to see that transition, kind of the last words that Jesus is speaking to the big crowds as he transitions in some more sharing with a core group of disciples. And see what's happening is John is continually pointing us to the cross. So in chapter 11, Lazarus is resurrected from the grave. That's a foreshadowing of a greater resurrection, Christ's resurrection, which is to come letting us know this is something bigger is on its way. Mary anoints Jesus um, at that, that feast, that celebration that they have in their home. It anoints him for his burial is what he tells everybody that is there. Again, leading up to the cross. Um, and we saw last week that Mary and Martha and Lazarus painted this beautiful picture of what a life of worship centered on Jesus looks like. You see, God designed us to worship. We worship just naturally. Worship means we ascribe worth to things just in the way we live our lives. But they had centered their worship on Jesus Christ as an example and as a challenge to us. And today we're continuing along those lines as we look at our text, John chapter 12, verses 12 through 36. So I'd ask you to please stand with me to honor the reading of God's word as I read our text for today. Hear now the word of the Lord. This is John 12, 12 through 36. It says, the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees 
and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Verse 20. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who's from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We've heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. There is a lot going on in this passage, and we get kind of two very different scenes. And for the sake of time, we're going to focus most of our time on verses 23 through 28. We just can't get any, into everything. As much as I would love to just walk through all of this, you know, there's probably like a few people in this room that are like, yeah, go on, preacher. But, you know, most of you, uh, after, you know, two hours, are going to be like, eh, I'm hungry. Um, I think the rumbling from the tummies, uh, the tummies would, would be rough. Um, so, we are going to focus mostly on 23 through 28, um, but just a few quick remarks on that first section, 
uh, 12 through 19. If you're familiar with the Gospels, um, I'm sure a lot of us have been raised in church like me. Um, if you're familiar, this is recognizable to you as the triumphal entry. Um, all the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, record um, this event. Um, John is the briefest in his remarks, though. Matthew, Mark, and Luke spend a little more time and give a little more detail in there. And so I'm just going to make some kind of brief remarks on that because they tie into our main theme for today. And the first thing I'll say is that before the triumphal entry, before Jesus enters Jerusalem, um, at this last Passover of his public ministry, he has been intentionally avoiding the region of Judea and the city of Jerusalem. He's been doing a lot of ministry in Galilee and other parts, uh, mostly because there's, most of the tension is concentrated in Judea and Jerusalem. Most of the opposition to Jesus and his message, it's concentrated in this region. And something that Jesus says over and over again, especially in John's gospel, is my hour has not yet come. It's not time. This isn't the right moment. And so he has been in other places. But now we see that he says this is the hour. This is the time. And so he on purpose walks straight in to where the opposition and the tension is the thickest. This isn't happening by accident. Jesus is purposely going to Jerusalem because it's time. Another thing that is interesting to notice, and this is something that we can notice in all of the Gospels, not just John, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke as well, is there's always this play between the crowd and the disciples. Uh, these are not two like interchangeable groups. Jesus, most of the time, draws big crowds. There's always a lot of people. It says um, in verses 12 through 19 that the crowd is coming to see Jesus because they heard that he raised Lazarus from the dead. That's a pretty big deal, right? That's a pretty big miracle. And the crowd is always drawn to a spectacle. And so they're coming to see Jesus for that, but usually the crowd dissipates. The crowd turns away as soon as something challenging is said, or as soon as Jesus talks about the real nature of what it means to be a disciple, what it really means to follow Jesus. We see that in John chapter 6. Jesus says some hard things, and most of the people who are following him, following him they turn away. The crowds dissipate. And this crowd that is celebrating, crying out, Hosanna, and praising, and saying, hey, this is the Messiah, there's going to be a, another crowd that's going to shout, crucify him. So the crowd, is, it's fickle. The disciples, though, they stick. Um, and Jesus spends, uh, and John devotes a huge chunk of his book to Jesus' message specifically for this core group of disciples that do not turn away. And one last remark about this opening section before we really dig into 23 through 28 is if we look in verse 16, verse 16 um, is so, uh, I think, interesting isn't really the right word, but it's the word I'm going to use because I can't think of another one right now, right? I'm on the spot. Um, verse 16, it says, His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, resurrected is what that means, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. Over and over in the Gospels, the disciples 
before the resurrection are always painted as just not quite in line with Jesus. It's just not quite getting it, as confused, as always asking, remember that, that parable that you told Jesus? What does that mean? Is not quite on board with what God's will is. Jesus always seems to be kind of dragging them along. But after the resurrection, you see a very different group of disciples. All of a sudden, they're bold. All of a sudden, they're risking their lives. All of a sudden, all these people who fled when Jesus was arrested. All of a sudden, Peter, who denied that he even knew who Jesus was, standing up and preaching these sermons in front of thousands of people. All of a sudden, they're being thrown in jail, and they're rejoicing because they get to suffer for the name of Jesus. There's this remarkable change because when you filter everything through the resurrection, that is the central hub of Christianity. Without Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, there is no Christianity. The Apostle Paul wrote in his letter to the church in Corinth that if there's no resurrection, that we are the most to be pitied of anybody else. And so without Jesus dying, being buried, being resurrected, none of this really makes sense. I think that is a core thing that we have to remember because this is where John is pointing us. This is where he is taking us. So as we really get into it this morning, we're going to look back at verses 23 right now through 26, talking about what is the nature of a disciple? What does it really mean to follow Jesus? And that's the core theme that we're going to sit, that we're going to park in. So hopefully when we walk out of here, we don't walk out with just more information, but we walk out prepared to be continually be transformed into the image of Christ. Our faith is deepened and we're ready to put into practice um, the words that God has given us. So looking back in verses 23 through 26, it's some Greeks. So some, a group who is, they're not Jewish. Um, they're at the Passover. They might be proselytes. Um, usually if they're proselytes, it would use the word proselyte. So they're Greeks. They're interested. Um, maybe they worship God. We don't know a whole lot about them. We just know that they're Greek. They come and they want to see Jesus. And Jesus uses this as an opportunity to dive back into a theme that he talks about a lot with his disciples. And that is, what does it really mean to follow him? So looking back at verse 23, it says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, my father will honor him. And this is a kind of a chunk of verses that you can find in the other gospels too. A similar um, words that Jesus uses it in Mark, in Matthew, and in Luke. And what Jesus is doing, he's laying out some paradoxes of discipleship. Some things that are counterintuitive to uh, a natural sinful nature, just kind of our natural default. These are things Jesus is saying, hey, you're not automatically going to do this, but this is what it means to follow me. 
And he says, hey, if you love your life, you're going to lose it. We're like, well, that, if I love things, I want to I I keep them with me. I want to guard them. I want to, I you know, protect them and make sure nothing happens to them. It's like, no, if you love your life, you're going to lose it. You're going to release it. Just like what Pastor Nathan talked about last week, opening our hands, asking, hey, what are we holding back from God? If we love our lives, we're going to realize that we've got to let it go and we've got to dedicate it. We've got to surrender our will to, to Jesus. We've got to let him now be the leader. All of a sudden, the center of my life is not me. It's not what makes me the happiest. It's not what I want. It's not what makes me the safest. It's not what gives me the most financial security. It's not what is the easiest thing for me. All of a sudden, it's what does Jesus want? Where is Jesus going? What is Jesus saying? Where is Jesus? What does Jesus want to do with my life? And Jesus says, hey, if you love your life, you're going to lose it because if you hate your life, you'll find eternal life. Hate your life doesn't mean you just sit around thinking about how terrible you are, you know, like walking around like a, a worse Eeyore, uh, if you will. Um, but it means that we disregard our ambitions. It means that we put to the side and we say, not my will, but God's will. It's not about my plans. It's not about my plans anymore. It's about God's plans for me. Because he says that if we hate our lives, if we disregard that and we take up what Christ has for us, then we get eternal life. And then he says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. He says, um, for where I am, then my servant will be also. Anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So he says, hey, you want to be exalted? You want to be honored? You need to serve, which is a counterintuitive thing kind of for us, but definitely um, in the context in which Jesus said this. You wanted to be seated at the highest possible place at the table. You wanted public recognition over and over again, you see in Jesus' encounters with the Pharisees in the Gospels, the Pharisees are always trying to publicly shame him. They're publicly trying to get him to say something wrong or trying to make him slip up because that's the worst thing that can happen to you is to public, be publicly humiliated. It would be, in their minds, they thought of it as they would be taking honor away from you that you couldn't gain back. And so for Jesus to say, no, you want to be honored, you have to serve. It's a counterintuitive thing. These are paradoxes, but all through, he's weaving all through here, is that we need to surrender to the will of the Father. It's that we're surrendering. So we have those open hands to Christ and we're saying, it's, it's not about me, it's about you. And Jesus is the very center of every aspect of our lives, not just some things, but all the things. And Jesus is giving them the greatest object lesson in this. He's literally walking out what this is before their very eyes. And back to that verse 16, they're not, all this is not clicking with them. It's not resonating. It's not making a whole lot of sense yet, but it will when they look back. But Jesus has literally been saying all through his ministry and John records all these things where Jesus is like, I do what I see the Father doing. 
I speak the words that I hear the Father speaking. I do the actions that the Father's doing. I go on the Father's initiative. I don't testify about myself. The Father testifies about me. He is living a life surrendered to the will of the Father, and he is inviting his disciples, hey, if you are going to follow me, you're going to follow me. If you're going to serve me, then you have to follow me. A lot of times we can kind of get unintentionally off track to where we do all these things to serve God that might be good things, but we lose Jesus in the process. But if we're going to serve him, then we have to follow him. We go where he goes. We go where he leads. We surrender to his will. And I think that that is a key application for us this morning because we have this natural default to re-clench our hands after a momentary surrender. We have these moments, and they're good moments. We need these moments where we come to this place where we're like, man, I haven't been surrendering everything to God. I need to repent of that. I need to change some things. I need to give some things up. I need to lay some things down. I need to take some things up. God, not your will, uh, not my will, but your will, Lord. And we open our hands we don't realize is that intellectually we know all these things, but as time goes on, our natural tendency is to slowly reclench our hands and take those things back. A lot of times, unintentionally. So we look down one day on our, and we've grabbed just as tight a hold as we had before. What happened to that moment? That moment was the beginning of something. We need to be reminded of these simple truths, what it means to follow Jesus, so that we're reminded to say, Lord, Help me unclasp my hands. Help me surrender to you anew. Because if we're going to serve him, we've got to follow him. And if we are not intentionally following Jesus, we're going to get off track. It's just going to happen. That's just the way it is. And so intellectually, we may know these things, but that does not equal spiritual maturity. That does not equal I'm a good disciple because I know the things. I know the things, but I'm also walking the things out. You see, the disciples heard all this stuff, but they didn't really walk it out until after the resurrection. So that's a key application I want us to keep in the back of our minds as we continue to jump to verses 27 and 28. And these are um, powerful and pivotal verses. The title for the sermon comes from uh, something Jesus says in verse 27, Jesus goes on, he says, now my soul is troubled. And I think that that is a sentence we can kind of just skip over real quick. Um, we kind of have this tendency to view Jesus as really stoic. I think that comes from maybe some movies about Jesus that were made a long time ago that kind of, he's just kind of standing there and kind of recites some lines and that's it. Um, when Jesus says, my soul is troubled, one commentator I read said that you could translate that. Now my soul has been thrown into confusion. That word troubled, it could mean stirred or agitated. Think of the calm surface of a lake. And now think of boiling water. It's been stirred. It's been agitated. Jesus saying, my soul has been thrown into confusion. It carries this atmosphere, this element of chaos. Jesus is saying, my soul 
has been thrown into confusion, right? The Son of God, the perfect union of divine nature and human nature joined together in perfect unity is saying, I, and there's a lot of crazy things going on right now. Not everything makes sense. Have you ever been in a spot like that? All of us could go around and share times when our soul has been troubled. And one of the comforting things of Christianity is we have a Savior who identifies with us. Not only that, we have a Savior who has walked deeper into that feeling troubled than any of us ever will. Jesus says, my soul is troubled. He's giving us this inward glimpse into this dialogue and this tension between while he is surrendering to God's will. When what's his response to this? He says, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. God, give me a quick exit. Give me an escape plan. This is mirroring um, what Matthew, Mark, and Luke record is Jesus praying in the garden of Gethsemane. Jesus says, you know, God, if all possible, take this cup from me, but not my will, but your will be done. Jesus is saying, what, should I just want escape? But he says, no, but for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Um, Chuck Swindoll uh, wrote a book called The Mystery of God's Will. And that's been a book that's been comforting to me. And one of the things he writes in his book is that doing the will of God is rarely easy and uncomplicated. Instead, it is often difficult and convoluted because we don't know where he's taking us. Jesus is in that spot. My soul is troubled. Everything has been thrown into confusion. And his prayer is, Father, glorify your name. Father, through my life, physically manifest who you are so that people see clearly your divine attributes. That's what that word glorify means in this instance. Um, I was in Uganda several years ago, and we were doing a service at a church. And at the end of this service, um, we had gave an opportunity for prayer. Um, my team and I, we all stood in the front. We each had a translator with us. And everyone who's in the church could come forward, and we would pray for whatever requests that they had. And I was in line, and this, uh, there are a bunch of people who have been coming through my line, and so I've been praying a lot. And this older gentleman walks up, and the translator tells me his name, tells me that he's been serving the church faithfully for a very, very long time. And his prayer request was that um, his eyesight was failing. Um, his hearing was failing. Um, he was getting tired and sore, and he couldn't do all the things that he used to be able to do. He was, he was aging, and he wanted those things to be healed. He wanted to be renewed so he could continue to serve God in the same ways that he had been serving him. And so I was like, that sounds like a good prayer request. You know, someone wants to serve God faithfully. Let's do this. And so I started praying for him. And I remember as I'm praying and as the translator is praying, um, I just, the Holy Spirit is just speaking to my spirit and says, hey, you need to change your prayer. You need to pray for this man to have the strength to continue to serve me, to continue to glorify me as he ages. I'm not going to heal him. I'm going to get much glory out of him continuing to serve me, even though everything doesn't work like it used to. And so, one, I'm like, so this guy asked me to pray like a specific thing, right? 
And like, I'm basically now changing my whole prayer. Like, no, 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 wait a minute, sorry. Got an update, here we go, we're gonna shift directions here. So I'm like, okay, let's roll with this. And so uh, I start praying for that, just being faithful. Um, thing kind of like peeking out of the corner of my eye, like, what is this guy gonna do? You know, like, you messed up my prayer request, bro. Like, what are you doing? Um, but he, um, I just saw, I just saw a smile come forth on his face. I just saw kind of a light and a lightness come to him. It's just, it was the relief of the Holy Spirit because God was speaking to him in that moment too. He was coming, he was troubled. He was confused. And in that moment, God said, hey, let me glorify myself through you because our good and God's glory always go together. They always go hand in hand. So what glorifies God is good for us as well. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, but for this purpose, I've come to this hour. Here is my purpose. Father, glorify your name. And so just in wrapping up today, I just want to sit in what is happening here is that Jesus is saying, hey, here's God's purpose in this. Here's my purpose in this. It might be troubling. It might be confusing. But we need to continue to surrender to the will of the Father because one of the things that Jesus is manifesting physically, this attribute of God, is how he brings purpose to broken things. One of the greatest testaments to that truth is that cross. The cross is created as an instrument of torture and despair and punishment to strike fear into the hearts of one's enemy. And now we prominently display them. You might have one on your neck. You might, we see them all over the place. We look at the cross now and it gives us hope. It gives us comfort. It gives us reassurance. That would be like looking at an electric chair and being like, man, that made me feel real good. God took one of the most evil and broken things of this world, crucifixion, and he turned it for his glory and for our good. He took something so evil and broken that no person could look at that and be like, man, that can be redeemed. And he redeemed it because that is who he is. And he does the same thing in our lives. Not because our big break is around the corner. Not because a financial windfall is going to come real soon if we just hang on. But because he is good. Because what it means to follow Jesus is to surrender everything. And to trust in him. Jesus ends, he says... While you have the light, he is the light. Believe in the light. Trust the light. Have faith in the light that you may become sons of light, that you may look like the light as well. And that is our challenge for today. I don't know where you are. I don't know all of you individually. I don't know what's going on in your life, what circumstances are surrounding you. I don't know if you're in here and you're like, yeah, I'm troubled. Like, there's a lot of stuff going on. I'm confused. I don't know if you're like, I'm just rejoicing right now. God is so good. He is blessing me endlessly. I don't know if it's a mixture of all of that. You're like, today I feel good. Yesterday, not so much. I don't know where you are, but I know that God is calling us to respond. We hear God's word. He wants us 
to respond so the Holy Spirit can continue to refine us. And so um, that's the opportunity that we have right now as we just move into this time of invitation. Um, Pastor Nathan is going to come up and he's going to formally lead that. Um, but just right before that happens, I just want to invite you. Let God work. Be faithful and obedient. If the Holy Spirit is telling you you need to come receive prayer, come receive prayer. The church, we're here to encourage each other. We're here to build each other up. When you walk down to receive prayer, people are like, yes, and they're praying for you as you're walking down. If you want to join with this church because you haven't formally made that commitment, maybe God's calling you to do that. If you need to be baptized, if you've never been baptized as a public testament to your faith, you need to come down and you need to do that. But let's not waste the opportunity to respond to the movement of God through his word as he calls us to deeper faith and deeper discipleship because what it really means to follow Jesus is we follow him no matter what because he is good and he can turn all things for his purpose for good because the ruler of this world Satan, he's been cast out he has no authority so I'm going to pray for us and then you'll have an opportunity to respond Lord Jesus Christ Thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you so much for letting us gather here today to be encouraged through singing songs about you and to you, through hearing your word. God, for just being together and continuing to build these relationships that you have blessed us with. Father, um, I just continue to lift up everybody in this room, maybe people who are watching on TV or who are watching online. God, that you would um, continue to give us the strength to follow you. God, that you would continue to penetrate deep into our hearts and continue to refine us to make us look more like Jesus so that we can then extend the good news that Jesus has come to save sinners and save the lost to the rest of the world because the world needs the light and we are the light. Help us to be that. Help us to not shriek back in fear but respond to your word and your prompting in confidence, in faith, because we know that you are good and you are continually turning the broken things of this world for your glory, which means also our good. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.